0: everyone, in today's talk we come near the cross. We in many ways find ourselves standing on holy ground. John's Gospel shows us how it is women that give us the closest picture of the cross. We also get an amazing insight into Mary, the mother of Jesus. Imagine the pain for a mother watching her son die in such a cruel way. We also see Jesus in great levels of pain thinking about Mary's future well-being. As we revisit the cross today, may we be filled with gratitude and amazement at all that God has done for us by sending his one and only Son to save us. Let's have a good day together. I think we already are having a good day. I don't know about you. I'm just going to move this here. I don't want to show undue favoritism or threat <laughs> to the people on the front row. Um, I'm just going to start by reading the passage for today, which is John 19:16 to 27. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus. Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him and with him two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but that this man claimed to be the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I've written, I have written. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled that said, they divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. So this is what the soldiers did. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. And I don't know about you, but sometimes when we lead up to these big festivals, it certainly happens for me at Christmas. You, you get these passages, you know the scriptures, don't you? It's no surprise that the reading sounds like this. And you kind of go, oh, yeah, yeah, I know how it goes. I mean, Jonathan this morning, as soon as we walked in, he said, he does rise again next week, you know. I mean, he completely blew the end of the story. <laughs> Spoiler alert. But that's just it. We know how the story goes. So what I would just say this morning is you've got an opportunity to kind of soak into this passage. And I really hope you do. Um, I, I have a little phrase which I use of myself when I'm preparing anything like this. It's a long time before I actually start writing anything. But I consider that I'm kind of marinating up until that point. And I, I know what the message will be. And I just kind of stew in my own juices is a, is a nice phrase, I think. And that's what I'd love to invite you to do. When I came this morning, um, because the setup is quite early, there were some people eating. And I think that's such a good illustration, really, that we come to God's house to feed on His word. And I really pray that some of this message feeds you very deeply this morning. So I want to start by thinking of the word faithfulness. Um, We've got two aspects to the sermon this morning. There's faithfulness at the cross and faithfulness from the cross. But what does faithfulness mean? I think some of us have been on the receiving end of what faithfulness doesn't mean. But what does it mean to us? What are the connotations? And I think it's more than just doing your duty, just turning up. I mean, going to work every morning, for those of us in jobs, is not faithfulness. That's just doing what you're supposed to do. I think faithfulness comes into into play when we've got a choice. When things are maybe difficult, do we choose to stay at our post? Do we choose that person and their needs over the ones that we have? We kind of lay aside our agenda. That's when I think we're talking about faithfulness. And we think to, to the, well, I do, to the end of my days when I hope I hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. I think we all want to hear Jesus say that of our lives. Our bosses won't say that to us when we clock off. You get your pay as a reward for turning up to work. If you're in that kind of organisation, you'll get a bonus for exceeding expectation. But faithfulness is, is not so much about what you do. I think it's who you are. Are you a, a faithful person? There's so much in the lead-up to Easter in these passages of scripture that's ugly. And last week, those of you who were here, Barry had a few people up to kind of reenact how it might have gone. And one of the things he encouraged us to do was to yell, Crucify him, crucify him. Now, honestly, I sat with my mouth closed. Why? Because I don't want to think that I was the sort of person who would have done that in the crowd. But I know that I might have been. And when I read a passage like today's and I hear about the women at the cross, I think, yeah, I would have been one of the faithful ones near Jesus. But I know I might not have been. From the moment Jesus started his ministry... He'd been waiting in the wings a long time. And the moment he came centre stage, he was surrounded by people. Everywhere he went, there were crowds that followed. Now, some of that would have been he was a charismatic person. Some people, fear of missing out. Did they have that? FOMO, fear of missing out. They wanted to know what was going on. They would have turned up. There were the needy, those that needed a touch from him, some healing, something put right in their lives. They came in their numbers, really big numbers. You know, don't don't gloss over the fact that the feeding of the 5,000 happened because 5,000 people came to hear Jesus. And we read that when he got a moment to himself, it was hard won. He had to really fight for time on his own. And so here he is at the end of his his life, and he's at the cross, and there are crowds of people. Now, these haven't come necessarily for the same reason that they came when he was conducting his ministry. I suspect a lot came because, you know, you hear about it in hangings, don't you? And at the guillotine, there's something about... I don't know, I don't understand it myself. I wouldn't want to watch that. But there's something about the spectacle that kind of draws people. There will have been religious leaders among the crowd always actually wanting to catch Jesus out, but they, they would have wanted to make sure he was gone. Thank you very much. Which meant that there wasn't very much space for the people that might have wanted to be there. And we hear, don't we... I, It hurts me, actually, that the disciples ran away. All of these crowds, a lot would have been strangers to Jesus as he looked out on them. And he must have looked for his disciples, and they weren't there. I don't know whether I would have been there. I want to think I would have been, but I might not have been. So for all the promise of sticking with Jesus for all the devotion that they had given him. They were gone. Now, I don't want to seem harsh here, but actually I think there was no excuse. I mean, that's not to say that I don't understand how it might have been for them. I mean, they were heartbroken, disappointed, disillusioned, not able to face it maybe afraid of the authorities almost certainly but it's not like any of them could have turned round and gone oh oh was that today they knew what was going on and they made a choice of whether to go or not go now peter's story we know peter's already been referred to this morning and i'm glad for that because again we've had the spoiler alert it got better for Peter. But there's a detail in the Gospels, um, which I don't want to over exaggerate, but I'm going to pick on anyway. There's a detail in all of the Gospels that say at the point of Jesus' arrest, Peter followed at a distance. I think that is really telling. I don't want to read too much into that, but can we? He followed at a distance. And I think that was the mistake he made, really, because he was about to deny Jesus three times. But I think before he got to that point, he'd actually denied his heart. Why didn't he follow Jesus closely? Again, he would have had his own reasons, and some of them might have sounded quite plausible, but why didn't he? This was the man who, of all of the disciples, got supernaturally who Jesus was he was the one who blurted out you are the Christ the son of the living God he got it and Jesus was so impressed with him getting it that he said you're not going to be called Simon anymore I'm going to call you Peter you are the rock on which I'm going to build my church now was was Peter wrong in all his bravado in saying I'll follow you I'll be there. Of course he wasn't. He meant every word. And was Jesus wrong in saying, wow, I can see such good things in you, Peter. I'm I'm going to do great things with your life. Was, Was Jesus wrong? No. But Peter followed at a distance. And I think that's where it started to unravel. So we're going to turn to the women at the cross. I want to ask the question, who were they? It says we have Mary, the mother of Jesus, his aunt, which would have been Mary's sister. We have Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. Now, I don't know about you, but all those Marys, that's a bit confusing. And actually, the detail that came up in the notes, I didn't know this, that in in first century Israel, um, half of the women, 50%, had the name Mary. So when we're kind of going, now, which one's that again? And I just had visions of Ronnie Corbett. As you do when you're preparing the word, you know. But but do you remember, those of you that are old enough, from the two Ronnies, and he used to sit in that big leather armchair with his golfing jumper. It was a golfing jumper, pale yellow or pale blue with little diamonds on. That's just an aside. But he'd sit there and say, now, I'm going to tell you a story. Now, it's not the one about, and then he'd give this great, long, convoluted thing. And he goes, no, 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 but that's not the story. This is the story. And then he'd say, no, 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 this isn't the story. So I want to say to you that out of these Marys, the one we haven't got here is the one who sat at the feet of Jesus, the one who was sister to Martha and Lazarus. She's not there. I don't know why. I looked it up. It's not too far. It's about 2.7 miles because I looked it up, wondering whether Bethany was just too far to get to Jerusalem. It wasn't, but she wasn't there. And she would have had her own reasons. But what we have got is, is someone who, I don't know, do you know who Mary, the wife of Clopas, is? No, I don't think anybody does. And I just wanted to pause here because there will be some people here. I know it's been me in the past, where you think you're just a face in the crowd. Nobody knows you, you know, and if they say, oh, you know Mary, you know Mary, like, ooh, do you mean Mary who, you know, Ronnie Corbett style, no, 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 not that Mary. What, Mary with the glasses, no, not that Mary, and nobody seems to know you. You see, we don't know anything about this woman. There's nothing in the scriptures that say what her story is. She hasn't featured before. We don't know whether she was close to Jesus, whether she followed at a distance. We don't know anything about her, but she loved Jesus, and Jesus loved her. And I think sometimes, even when other people don't, we need to remember we're just so important to Jesus. Now, of course, Mary, the mother of Jesus, was there. I don't know what agony she must have been in. I can only imagine. Those of you that are mothers, you know when your child is ill or they've hurt themselves, it can be so painful. And imagine this. And I remember seeing the film, The Passion of the Christ. Do you remember that film? How many saw it? I mean, it, oh, I just found it brutal, absolutely brutal. But there was a scene in it that broke my heart and it's it's when Jesus is carrying his cross through the streets and he's been beaten up really badly and he can barely manage this cross on his back and the streets are all cobbled and uneven and he's making his way through. And in the film it shows Jesus stumble at one point and In Mary's mind, she's instantly back to when Jesus was a little boy playing. And he fell over. Breaks my heart. Because when she was a young mum and he was a little boy, she could run and make it better. And she couldn't make this better. She wanted to spare her son. And she couldn't but she stayed at the cross because she had a choice I think if she would said I'm sorry guys I just can't do this they'd have gone oh don't you worry Mary nobody would blame you for not being there but she was she was Mary Magdalene I think we think that we know her story and I found this interesting too Because in all of the the dramas and the films and the whatevers, you always see Mary Magdalene as a prostitute with the long curly hair and the dangly earrings and all the allure. You think that she's a prostitute. Actually, there's no evidence in scripture that she was at all. There's a story where a lady came and broke perfume over the feet of Jesus. And we all think that that was Mary Magdalene. But actually, Luke makes really clear. It was an unknown woman. And maybe you're sitting here and you feel that you've been typecast. That people think they know your story. And actually they've got you muddled with somebody else. Or they've heard a rumour or a second hand And No. What we do know is that Jesus delivered this Mary Magdalene of seven demons. And I think her life would have been bad enough with those seven demons, regardless of how she worked out her lifestyle. So in other words, she had reason to be grateful for Jesus. We, we've heard this morning about freedom. And I love the way Dave led communion. Thank you, Dave. I thought that was beautiful this morning. And like, if you're not free this morning, well, there's a part of you that is still a bit bound. And Mary, we get the impression, was totally set free. And in her freedom to choose, she chose to be faithful at the cross. So none of those women were there because they were trying to do the right thing, trying to make an impression. They were there because they couldn't not be there. And I think that's what faithfulness really looks like when, with all the choices in the world, with all the reasons and excuses to do differently, you choose to do that thing. So that was what faithfulness at the cross looked like. And now we're going to think about faithfulness from the cross. And in thinking about um, what faithfulness might mean to us, and I deliberately didn't want to fill the gaps in too much for you because... You need to connect with the passage in your own way. I think sometimes we muddle up what God is really like because we think it's going to be based on what we experience. We do that all the time, don't we? We have to kind of correct our thinking and our beliefs and think, oh, hang on a minute, no, that's how I do it. How would God do it? So what does God's faithfulness look like? And for me, it's, it's a verse in Timothy that tells me the best. Um, Timothy, t- uh, sorry, 2 Timothy 2, verse 13. If we are unfaithful, I kind of auto-correct that to since we are unfaithful, he remains faithful for he cannot deny who he is. Now, that's the faithfulness of God. You know, they say, don't they, about a stick of rock, you break it in half at any point and you've got it going through the core Jesus cannot not be faithful. We have experienced unfaithfulness of many kinds, people letting us down, disappointing us. We also have been on the dishing out end where we let people down and we don't do the right thing and we're not the right person. God will never, ever, ever be like that because he can't be. Do you get that? He can't be. If Jesus were faced with a choice, he would always have chosen the faithful route. Why? Because he couldn't do otherwise. Dave said in his little piece about freedom, that if you are still bound, it could be that you're believing a lie. And my prayer this morning would be that some of those lies are uncovered. So we're thinking about how Jesus shows faithfulness from the cross. And I want to just remind you that this is no, um, this wasn't one of his sermons. This wasn't one of his times on a hillside or even in a little boat teaching the crowds. He was in pain. Now, I don't know about you, but I think it's fair to say I'm not my best when I'm in pain. And pain makes us crabby and short-tempered and unpleasant. And Jesus was suffering pain like we have no idea about. And I'm not belittling anybody's pain here. But whatever, you know when they say, on a scale of 1 to 10, how strong is your pain right now? And you go, oh, 32. (sighs) The scale that Jesus' pain was on was not even on that scale. That's the point. Now, going back to the Passion of the Christ, I know that was a drama and maybe some of the details were embellished, I've got a feeling that some of them were reduced actually. So Jesus was beaten and flogged and tortured and that would have meant that his back was shredded. And on his head was a crown of thorns and we're not talking rose or even pyrocancer. A few years ago somebody I know had a piece of the bush that this crown would have been made from and it was shocking I I didn't want to think you know I watch Holby City just as an aside and um, and I can watch those horrible scenes because I can tell myself oh it's all makeup oh it's not as bad oh no, no and there's a good reason why you're under anesthetic by the way when that's all going on that is an aside. But I wanted to escape the fact that these thorns, which actually I was holding, were not the thorns that were in Jesus' crown, but they were. And they were that long, and honestly, I think aimed right, they could kill a man. And he had that on his head. The nails were through his hands and feet, which, oh, I mean, I, I get a splinter. And it really hurts. But it would have shattered the bones as those metal nails went through. Jesus was in agony. Absolute agony. But he was faithful. And he looked at his mother and those women and he loved them. And he wanted to make sure that they were okay. I mean, think of... The other gospel, I think it's Luke, where you get that story of how he treated the criminals either side. Now, again, I've seen the dramas where they were mocking him. They were rightfully there. They were being punished for crimes that were were real, not trumped up like Jesus' charges were. And he turned to the one who said to him, remember me. And he said, I'll do more than remember you. I'm going to get you right where I am today. You'll be in paradise with me. And so that compassion meant that that man could die in peace. I mean, what a beautiful gift that is. So the man had his last agonizing moments made a little bit more bearable. And beyond it, he had the promise of eternal life, paradise. We don't see the word paradise in scripture too often, but you're going to be with me in paradise. Wow. And he couldn't do that quite for Mary, but he did a really close thing. And he looked at Mary and he said, here is your son. John, here is your mother. Because she was a widow, and that was a really uncertain existence. And in other Gospels, it seems to suggest that Jesus' brothers weren't followers of him. They weren't godly men. So who would have looked after Mary? And I love that it's only 30-odd years previously that she was a virgin, told she was going to bear this child, and she'd risked everything. She'd risked her reputation and her health, possibly, and her future security. And I think she would have said it was worth it. And so Jesus looks at her faithfulness and responds with his own faithfulness to her. so what's our response we can't ever just sit and go oh yeah whatever (laughs) can we, I hope not I don't know whether you want to close your eyes at this point but um, I don't know how you feel hearing how the disciples ran away maybe you know that you have run away from something that you were called to at the beginning when you first had faith and it was all so exciting and so new and so doable somehow. You'd have promised anything like Peter did. Yeah, I'll, I'll do that. I'll, I'll go those places. That whatever you say, I'll do that. And then it got a bit hard and you found yourself not able to do those things and, and you followed at a distance. And maybe your heart is calling you back. The message of the cross, with all its repulsion and wanting to look away, always has the message come close. I'm so glad we had communion. What the message is there come close. I love how Dave led that. Don't be focused on your own failings and your own sense of I'm not worthy. Uh, whoever else this is prepared for, it's certainly not for me. I'm just going to sit here and, no, no. I think the message of the cross is that we don't stay anonymous anymore. Jesus died for us, each one of us, whom he knows by name, and he knows your story, and he knows whether you're worthy or not. Oh, sorry, bursting the bubble, we're all not worthy, but that's why he died. That's why he died. And Jesus is faithful always, despite how we are. And I just want to encourage you to see yourself at the cross today. And to see Jesus reaching out for you, whether you imagine him looking at you in a certain way whether you imagine him saying the words that you need him to hear like the criminal did, whether you need to know that everything's all right, that he places you in a secure family, that he puts you in with people that are going to care for you and have your best interests at heart. Whatever you need to hear from his faithfulness, I pray that you will hear that this morning because he's a good good God. And it's always a a good day to read the salvation prayer. And I'd like us to look at it again today with our thoughts so particularly on the cross so that when we read these words, we've got a little more idea of what it might have meant. So whether it's for the first time in which case, brilliant, or again, in which case, brilliant. Let's say the salvation prayer together. Dear Lord Jesus, I need you. I need your grace to forgive me and your love to change me. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Please forgive me for the sin in my life. I accept you as my Lord and Saviour. With your help, I will live my life for you. Amen.